It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, this is the Red Box Podcast. I'm Matt Jolly. It must be Wednesday, so it must be PMQ's Unpacked. It's the last one before MPs break up for the summer recess. A slightly strange one this week. Uh, Boris Johnson appearing via video link from Chequers, where he's still self-isolating. And Tory MPs told to stay away from the Commons Chamber, uh, despite uh, lots of them being very keen to uh, turn up uh, and uh, take their place on the green benches now that some uh, social distancing rules have been relaxed in Parliament. Find out what happened at PMQs when Patrick McGuire and I pause the action. That's coming up as our big thing. First as ever, our columnist panel. It's Wednesday, so it must be Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson. Robert Crampton and Alice Thompson there. Of course, you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to the times.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQs Unpacked. Right, let's talk about billionaires. And uh, that we used to hope that our, our, our billionaire colleagues uh, might do some good with their money and instead they're taking themselves and their other billionaire mates to space. Um, is, is, is the philanthropist dead, uh, Robert? Well, to be fair to Bezos, I was just looking it up, he has given quite a lot away. I mean, he's got a lot to give away. Uh, $10 billion to climate change, $100 billion, which I don't quite believe, to food banks. Uh, I'm always a bit suspicious of philanthropy anyway. Uh, I kind of think he should pay his taxes. Uh, Amazon are fairly uh, lax about doing that. Uh, and then after that, he can be start being generous. In terms of going to space... I know we're all supposed to be terribly excited about space exploration and tourism. It's always left me a little bit unmoved, uh, which is a terribly kind of Luddite thing to say. I know that we, everyone always says we got frying pans, you know, Teflon out of the Apollo thing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if, if no you're not excited by space, you're likely to be excited by a frying pan, Robert. Exactly. I always think that, you know, maybe we should do more in terms of, oceans and deserts and mountains here on earth in terms of making them possibly habitable rather than mucking around in space is it an ego thing of course it's an ego thing yeah i mean that's not necessarily a bad thing but yes yeah that, of course it's of course it's about their ego they're billionaires you know but i suppose the difference is that when it was nations when it was uh yeah. russia or america or whatever investing in but there was some you know although it costs a lot of money and it's partly to do with showing off on the world stage you know, any good that came out of it was then fed back into the sort of the greater public good rather than just yeah. uh, taking uh, rich people to space. Uh, what do you think, Alice, um, uh, about the state of philanthropy? Instead of, a, you know, we should be applauding billionaires for giving their money to good causes, not for taking each other to space. 
I wrote last week about Richard Branson, so I just love the fact that he spent all his money going up into space and he's the world's biggest uh, self-publicist. And actually what happened in the end is that no one noticed because of the cut. They were just obsessed by football and uh, sort of, you know, bringing it home. And so poor Branson was left kind of totally alone, floating around in space saying, look at me, look at me. So that was quite entertaining, I thought. Um, but actually, if you look at it, the amount that people uh, that we spend on going into space and the amount of energy it consumes is so much more than anything else that it's not really worth it for the green issues. It's not really worth it for uh, the planet. It's only worth it if you want to show off. And I just think for a few people to show off, what's the point? <laughs> and what about, I mean, it's an interesting uh, point you make, Robert, actually, about, um, you know, if if these very wealthy people just paid their taxes. There was a particularly gruesome moment yesterday when Jeff Bezos was he thanked Amazon customers and staff because they'd paid for this. <laughs> mm. uh, and actually, you know, everyone had paid yeah. for it by the fact that they haven't paid their taxes. Yeah, although the Amazon staff in their warehouses on their minimum wage have uh, probably paid for it a bit more heavily. I mean, I think it's, I mean, he can do what he wants with his money, but he needs to, he needs to be his, his, uh, his net wealth rather than his gross wealth. <laughs> You know what I mean? In terms of, he should, uh, they should sort out their tax arrangements first, and then after that, he can. Uh, I mean, I prefer if he gave to more prosaic causes. Uh, that if he wants to spend on going to space, that's up to him. That's up to him. I think. Uh, but like Alice says, I think. It, I mean, I think basically it is showing off, and I think there's lots of. And, and as I say, I think there's probably lots of dramatic, exploratory type things still to be done here on Earth, rather than. Uh, going out into this great void which is why i've never it's never really excited me because it's just you know they say oh there's a bit of like you know this planet's capable of sustaining life and it turns out to be some sort of bit of slime yeah and i suppose actually you know given the, yeah. the climate crisis and all that was fine you know spend your money you can mm. do something exciting go to the bottom of the sea or the top of a mountain and you might yeah. you might help solve some of our problems yeah. Um, and, you just have to look at the shape of them, don't you? I mean, if you look at the shape of the rockets, you know exactly why they're doing it. And then it is that <laughs> you know, the... thrusting forwards and going up. And no, the men don't mention it, but they're not many women doing it. I did once interview Sherman, who was the first woman and actually the first British person into space. And she was so um, unassuming and uh, kind, relaxed, had made no money out of it, went round basically just asking children to go into science for the greater good and she couldn't have been more different whereas this is definitely boys toys and you know when they talk all about how they want to create these new you know fantastic mars stations and you know populate the moon that mm. it, it is just you know it's just men really, i mean i was quite surprised when i saw people <laughs> tweeting it's, yesterday it's about the, the slightly <laughs> phallic nature of the bezos well it can't be that bad and then when i saw it no it's appalling i mean come on um, uh, and what about, in contrast to that, on the, you know, over here, uh, separately, we've had Marcus Rashford. Um, and I don't actually think the story's dropped from the spectator, but he tweeted yesterday saying, just heard spectator plans to run a story on me tomorrow about how I've benefited commercially in the last 18 months. To clarify, I don't need to partner with brands. I partner because I want to prog progress the work I do off the pitch. And most of, most of any fear I would receive contributes to that. Uh, and then he goes on to talk about how he helped 1.3 million children get access to food support through his relationship with Burberry. Children have a safe place to be after school, whether they'll be fed, and so on and so on. Um, is that the sort of right approach? Is that a better approach for sort of well-off people, do you think, Alice? 
Yeah, I mean, my problem is I think you look at some of the billionaires and, and more of them in America are doing stuff, but in Britain, very few are. So the people who give most in Britain are the people who are least well off. They are incredibly charitable, just worldwide as well, that our least well off people are mm. streets ahead of anyone else, whereas our billionaires do very, very little in Britain. And actually Marcus Rashford and the footballers who were slated at the beginning of this pandemic for being paid a mm. fortune and doing very little have been some of the few that have actually stepped up. So for the spectator to say anything, I think is mad. I mean, it's insane for them to go after the people who are trying to do something, particularly when they're that young and are focused on trying to win at the same time and trying to, you know, help. Whether there's so many more people they could be going for who they know well and who are quite close to them, who are really giving nothing away at all. Yeah, and also, it's just the mindset. Well, who should we write about this week? I know. Let's try and well, do in Marcus Rashford. They just, I mean, the spectator, if you remember, has always been a bit tone deaf about football. When Boris Johnson was editing it, they managed to get the lively, got the name, the number of uh, Hillsborough casualties wrong. And which, and at that point, I, you just think, well, I've got to be just tone deaf about. Uh, well, he ended up, he ended up having to go to Liverpool, didn't he? To, he ended up having to go to Liverpool yeah. to apologise because he, because of things he said about kind of whinging scousers. But what really, what would struck me about that was just that simple fact of getting a number of deaths wrong. Yeah, yeah, just, yeah. Which is just insulting and shows that. Uh, well, you know, it could have been fifty, it could have been ninety-six. Kind of who cares? It's that only football. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway. I think the spectators have learned their lesson. I've just had a look on their website. I can't find the story, funnily enough. Yeah, Alice, sure. Alice, let's talk about your column instead. And it's a, lo- it's a lovely, if slightly depressing column about the need for touch, the thing that everyone's been missing in the past 18 months. So touch is incredibly important in a way we didn't realise because you don't think of it. We think that what you don't want to lose is your sight or your hearing or your smell or your taste. And actually, I lost my smell for 10 months and it didn't really bother me whereas actually the thing that makes most difference and the scientists think make most difference now is the sense of touch and that all our skin receptors are very very sensitive to touch much more so and much more original than our sense of sight or taste or smell which is very similar to everyone else's and what I was saying really is that in the last 18 months we haven't been able to touch people very much if you've been in a care home you haven't touched anyone at all that you loved or cared for really you've had your carers but that's a very different sense of touch and that you haven't been able to kind of mingle or meet or really be together and now finally after Freedom Day we're allowed to but I think people are too nervous to again already that they're they're feeling too worried about the new variant. They're too worried about getting pinged. So just when you think you can throw your arms around people, it's the moment when actually we're now becoming really reserved and nervous and kind of English again about the whole thing, or British. Mm. And, but I think that also, uh, you're, you're right, that even though now you are allowed to do this stuff, everything is its all a bit awkward and stilted. And so friends that you might see or family, instead of it just being an entirely natural thing to give them a hug or a kiss or whatever it might be, it's all a bit awkward and all you don't want to be doing it and you don't want to cause any offence. It just makes it a, like the opposite of a natural uh, night nice What do you think, uh, Robert? Uh, yeah, I, mean, I was struck by Alice's column. I didn't realise that it was uh, uh, that the science... I mean, obviously, I realised it was emotionally important, but I didn't realise it was so kind of... Uh, the science backed that up. I mean, that was that you quoted that guy, I think, from... Uh, was it Liverpool University? Uh, who said, it's a, for young people especially, it's as important as the air that they breathe. Uh, and that made me, uh, it may just made me think that the, we're only just beginning to kind of uh, imagine the long-term consequences of what's happened now that we're coming out of it. It's, 
uh, or sort of coming out of it. It's all the, the complexity of it and the nuances involved and the, uh, the potential damage that it's done over and above what we know about is really, it's going to play out for decades, isn't it? Especially, it's, you know, youngsters, we think about education, but it may be even more profound than that. Uh, if, if it's so important to, to development in your teens and so on, social interaction and particularly touch, then we're going to be, we're going to be living with the consequences of this for so long. So, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, as ever, Alice, it was, a, it was a, another fascinating, another fascinating column. Brilliant. I mean, great stuff. And it was it also it made me think of those images of people at funerals, you know, when when they could yeah. go, to, but like you, six people dotted around the room. Like the one time you really want to be able to put your arm around yeah. someone or take them by the hand, I, the worst possible. I thought moment. about this. I wrote about this a few months ago. Yeah. Sorry, my uncle, my uncle. Yes, died, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was uh, just the most natural thing in the world would have been to give my cousin a hug, you know, his dad, my uncle, and his dad died, and. Uh, and I couldn't, and yeah. So I suppose that was that was what was really missing because we could speak to each other, we could see each other, but we couldn't touch each other, and that was that's what kind of really uh, hurt. Sorry, Alice. I mean, that's talk. the difficult thing I think is that I mean I I felt very much that I didn't mind about the smile, but I really minded for my mother who spent nine months in a care home without anyone touching her, and then she when she died, she died really because I think she just gave up, but. When she died, none of us were there to hold her or touch her. And that really felt difficult, actually. It felt really hard that we couldn't see her until she was dead and that she never had that interaction. I think we forget that, that all those people who died in hospital, they're not just statistics about dying. And it's not just that it was appalling that they were dying. It was just a horrendous way to die. And medical friends of mine, the doctors and the nurses, said they were having to stand in and try and hug people through their PPE because they felt it was just so inhumane to die without anyone there with you holding you and mm. and i think that's you know now it seems like a luxury to be able to die in that way but it really should be sort of normality for everyone that you have someone there mm. to be with you to hold you as you go from one world into the next or is it what however you feel whether you have faith or not i mean i don't but i do definitely i would want someone with me if i, I was you know, that that was happening to me and i think that's just a really really tough call and it's very difficult for anyone in a hospital anyone in a care home mm. to try and step in and, and that's kind of that. that's kind of what i meant about the long-term consequences because mm. i mean bereavement's bad enough anyway but uh we need to be thinking about setting up some sort of mass bereavement counseling i think uh because this is really traumatic for I mean, what is it? One hundred twenty thousand people have died. I mean, they say they all know. They're all very, you know, intimate with ten people. That's over a million people are going to yeah. be suffering from, uh, and 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 we ignore that at our peril, you know. And I suppose it's, it's, sort of, it's like it's a form of kind of PTSD, isn't it? And the um, thing that I think the thing that the reason it feels so difficult is because what we now know about COVID is that it's about the air. And so all the touch and the wet wipes and disinfecting and all that actually wasn't the thing that, you know, was the was the key. And so maybe not only is it is it been very difficult for people who haven't been able to touch, but maybe you know, maybe actually they could have done and it wouldn't have been uh, as risky. Well, it's lovely to speak to you as ever, even, albeit on a slightly downbeat uh, note, but it's a cracking column. Robert Clamps and Alice Thompson there, of course, you can read them both in the Times every week. Just get yourself a subscription. Go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash Times Red Box. Up next is PMQ's Unpacked. You're listening to the Red Box Podcast. Now it's time for this. 
PMQ's Unpacked on Times Radio. Unpacking the politics and cutting through the crossfire. Order, order. I call Mark Chorley. And Patrick Maguire. He's back. Everyone's favourite political impressionist. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very, very hot. Now I've got a newfound respect for James Corden. I mean, listeners who don't tune into the uh, video feed will know that I'm, will not know that I'm, uh, you know, a larger gentleman. <laughs> and how James Corden does this in LA, LA every day, I don't know. You've, uh, you've got a jacket on, that's the thing. Well, I, the I problem mean, I, is, I, I, my shirt is so wet now, I can't take it off. <laughs> but now, the, my, my jacket is also, anyway, nobody needs to know this, it's just awful. It's just very hot. I made the same mistake because I'm going to a do later on. I thought, I'll wear a jacket, look a bit smart. It's insane. Who, who, who's invented jackets? Right, so it's the last uh, PMQs of the session. Uh, it's the 60th, uh, um, they're marking the fact it's the 60th anniversary of PMQs, which obviously we know because we did PMQs Unpacked episode one on Friday. Is this uh, episode going to live up to uh, some of the great PMQs of our time? Well, what in another world where COVID cases were through the floor, this might have been the return to a packed house, Keir Starmer's first time in front of uh, you know mass ranks of Labour MPs cheering him on, a full... Uh, government bench as well, but Labour whips early in, in the week told their MPs, keep your masks on, stay social distance, and uh, in this morning's Times, my friend of yours, Henry Zappman, chief political correspondent, has a story. Uh, Tory MPs, for all uh, of the government's rhetoric on Freedom, Freedom Day, have been told to do the same thing. So as well as the Prime Minister being at, at Chequers, it's going to be uh, you know another instalment, hopefully the last instalment in the rather subdued pandemic chronicles, I think. Uh, and Keir Starmer started the week over the weekend on Monday, really sort of actually going in studs up on uh, Boris Johnson on Freedom Day and saying it was a mistake and, you know, saying we should always still wearing masks and that sort of thing. Um, who do you think is ending? I suppose we'll, we'll ask this question again at the end of PMQs, but who, who's ending the term uh, in a better place? I think, I think Keir Starmer has hit his stride, found a rhythm that works for him, um, that minimises the Prime Minister's ability to evade questions, although, God, he's trying, and that um, that is making the most of the great many uh, unedifying, unfavourable news stories that crop up in the government's inbox in any given morning, let alone day. Um, so it'll be interesting to see whether, one, Keir Starmer references the Dominic Cummings revelations from last night and the night before, uh, and also the uh, Violence Against Women proposals that came out this morning um, might be a bit a bit soon, you might think. Uh, you know, Keir Starmer tends to plan these things like any good lawyer uh, a long time in advance. But Labour thinks uh, crime is the issue that can decide the next election. So we'll see. Anybody, yeah, I mean, there's quite a lot for him to go out. He could do crime and violence against women, which he's done before. A couple of weeks ago, he did sort of the terrible uh, rape conviction rates. Dominic Cummings, he could do. He could do the stories on the front of some of the papers, migrant crossings and, you know, Pretty Patel making up some other... Or the pandemic, Or the pandemic, uh, and um, uh, uh, and just about anything else. Well, well, let's find out then. Let's go live to the House of Commons. This is Keir Starmer. Position, Keir Starmer. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Can I also thank you and all of the House of Commons staff for everything you've done to keep Parliament open and safe? Can I wish the Prime Minister that the Chequers won well in his isolation. With half a million people self-isolating, I think we're all a bit surprised that the Prime Minister, the Chancellor and the Cabinet Office Minister were all randomly chosen for a get-out-of-isolation free card. Uh, But it's good that the Prime Minister finally recused himself 
even if it took a public outcry, for the community secretary to be humiliated on live TV and a trip looking very to the country it has to be said. Mr Speaker, if someone is pinged by the NHS app, as millions will be over coming weeks, should they isolate? Yes or no? Mr Speaker, is the answer to, to that. And uh, I think that uh, everybody understands the, uh, the inconvenience of being, uh, being pinged, as, as he rightly says. Here I am. I wish I was uh, with you in the, in, the, uh, in the Commons chamber today. I apologise to everybody uh, in business, up and down the land, in all kinds of uh, services, uh, public sector or otherwise, uh, who are experiencing inconvenience. We will be switching, as the House knows, to a... Uh, a system based on uh, contact testing rather than uh, contact isolation. But until then, Mr Speaker, I just must remind everybody that uh, isolation is a vital tool of our defence against the, the disease. Uh, you're five times more likely to catch it if you've been in contact with someone that gets it uh, and someone that, that has it. And of course, even if uh, you have been vaccinated, you can still pass it on, though that risk is, uh, is reduced. And uh, the overwhelming arguments, Mr Speaker, are for getting a jab. Everybody uh, should get a jab. Kirsten. Well, let's just jump in there. I think, <laughs> slightly owing to the... I don't know if the Prime Minister un, uh, unmute himself in time, but I think his actual answer to the question, should you isolate, I think it was yes, but we didn't quite hear him. Uh, and, it was, and it was concealed in a, uh, in a mass of extraneous material that you know, as, as with so much of what ministers are saying this week, uh, exists to make us believe that you know we're enjoying uh, we're enjoying our freedom. It's it's an interesting question, uh, and it's one that ministers have, as you know, on your show yesterday, you had three Tory MPs all giving a different answer. Victoria Atkins this morning on Times Radio gave the exact opposite answer that Paul Scully, the man who started all of this yesterday, uh, gave, um, and now the Prime Minister has done his best to look like he's not answering the question at all. Um, and then obviously on the front page of the Telegraph this morning, you see other cabinet ministers are saying, well, uh, let's extend the list of industries that are exempt. So clearly the actual answer to the question, the one Victoria Atkins gave in a very straightforward way to Stig and Asper this morning, is one the Prime Minister feels very, very uncomfortable answering. And uh, yeah, may, may, maybe based on that answer, he's probably quite glad there aren't more Tory MPs in the... In the House of Commons. Well, let's go back to question two uh, from Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister says that everyone understands the government's position as to what you should do if you're pinged by the NHS app. That's a very interesting answer, because the government's all over the place on this. Yes, yesterday, his business minister said the app was an advisory tool only. Another government minister, and I kid you not, said yesterday the app is just to allow you to make informed decisions. What on earth does that mean? Inf allow you to make informed decisions. And of course, the Prime Minister and the Chancellor spent the weekend trying to dodge isolation altogether. So, Mr Speaker, the British people are trying to follow the rules. How can they when his ministers keep making them up as they go along? No, Mr Speaker, if I may laboriously uh, repeat the answer that I gave uh, earlier on to the Right Honourable Gentleman, so, so just to, to get it into his, uh, his head yet again. Uh, isolation is a very important part of our armoury, 
uh, against COVID. We're going forward, as, as everybody knows, to a new system on August the 16th based on, based on testing. But in the meantime, when you're advised to, to isolate, to protect others and uh, to protect your family against the spread of the, of the disease, then you should, uh, you should do so. And uh, of course, even uh, more important than uh, the isolation campaign is, of course, the, the vaccination campaign. Three million people uh, of the 18 to 30 group uh, still to get one. I think uh, the right honourable gentleman's time will be more usefully employed, if I may say so, encouraging uh, everybody to get vaccinated. Here's Starmer. <laughs> He's doing his best to avoid the language of compulsion there, despite saying people should self-isolate. It was all, you know, vital tool among many in armor, armory. Um, when you are advised to self-isolate, there's no suggestion that people absolutely have to. And for that, that's that's the reason Keir Starmer's line will cut through. I think because there is a sense that there are no, there are no rules, and if the prime minister himself can't say in a straightforward way yes, then it's no wonder this mood of chaos is. And what's really noticeable, having been at various times quite critical of uh, Keir Starmer for being slightly off the mark, he's he's sort of capturing the public mood. If you listen to the the focus group that we did on Monday night, played it out on Tuesday with a panel of swing voters. They were basically laughing about the mess on Sunday over who should self-isolate and who shouldn't. It was all very confusing. And essentially giving, you know, we had six, seven, eight people on a, on a focus group Zoom call. All of them almost admitted at various points breaking the rules. They had a rule for them. Well, I've, I have got the app, but I turn it off when I leave the house, um, which is one of my favourite explanations. But, but, but that gives people licence to think that there are rules that we're, uh, you know, everyone is allowed to do their own thing. And what Keir Starmer is doing is just sort of tap, you know, rather than sort of drilling down into details and asking questions for which there are, um, you know, opportunities for Boris Johnson to, uh, you know, get bogged down in the detail, by asking sort of broad brush questions, this is a mess, isn't it? And then Boris Johnson burbles on so much, he just it sort of illustrates the point. Yes, exactly. And when you think of iconic P&Q's exchanges, I'm not for a moment suggesting we're um, crawling towards that sort of status for this quite ordinary exchange. The questions, you know, you never, you don't think of uh, Blair asking Major for, um, you know, figures on the ERM or uh, precise prison numbers. It's all about capturing a sense, uh, a mood, a moment. And I think Keir is successfully doing that here. Yeah, yeah. All, all of the examples that we used last week, you know, he, I, I lead my party, he follows his week, week, week. All of those are, yeah, great sort of moments which sum up, sum up the public mood rather than, yeah, uh, getting down to the nitty-gritty. Right, let's go back. Uh, question number three, uh, Keir Starmer. Well, Mr Speaker, everything may be calm from the Prime Minister's country retreat, but back here, the truth is we're, we're, heading, we're, heading for a, we're heading for a summer of chaos. There's a lot of noise, Mr Speaker. I, I hope they've all got their NHS app on. Um, Mr Speaker, we're heading for a summer of chaos. One million children were out of school last week. One million. And a huge number of businesses are closing because so many staff are self-isolating. So let me turn to the question of exemptions. Yesterday, the messages coming out of number 10 about which businesses and workers might be exempt from isolation changed hour by hour. First, yesterday, there was going to be a list. And then there wasn't. And then the Prime Minister's spokesperson said this, and I quote, we are not seeking to draw lines specifically around who is or who is not exempt. Now, I've read that and I've reread it several times, Mr. Speaker. I haven't a clue what that means. 
the Road Haulage Association hit the nail on the head when they said this, and I quote, that it was thought up on the hoof without proper organisation or thought. Now, Mr Speaker, I know, I know the Prime Minister likes to govern by three-word slogans. I think, Mr Speaker, I think on the hoof might work pretty well. So, last chance before recess, for millions of workers this matters. Or, or, order. Mr Gullis, I don't need any help or assistance from yourself. The next time you point to your watch, might be better looking at Big Ben outside rather than here. Come on. That's Tory MP Jonathan so, Gullis Speaker, getting a ticking off recess. There. Can the Prime Minister just clear it up? Which workers and which businesses will be exempt from isolating before the 16th of August? It's your own time you wasted. Mr. Speaker, I think this is really pretty uh, feeble stuff from the right honourable gentleman in this what's going to be a glorious 60th anniversary edition of uh, of PMQs. I've, I've given him uh, the answer in a, in a letter that he had uh, earlier on uh, about the, the businesses and the uh, sectors of industry that we think that it would be sensible now to exempt. But he can't have it both ways, Mr. Speaker. He, can t- he attacks the self-isolation system. But as far as I understand the position of the right honourable gentleman when it comes to uh, the, uh, the roadmap, he actually now this week opposes uh, going forward uh, with step four, uh, as, as we have on as we did on Monday. He wants to keep this country, as far as I understand his position, in lockdown. And now, now which is it? He can't have it both ways. He can't simultaneously, Mr Speaker, uh, attack... Sorry, the Prime Minister. Some pl- and, and Wait, Prime Minister, the- just a moment. We're really struggling on the sound level. I don't know whether we can actually have the sound level turned up to hear the Prime Minister. Oh, I'm sorry. OK. Prime, if you... Thank you, Prime Minister. Otherwise, you've got a great standing who's quite desperate. But I want to hear this, Prime Minister. As Jacob Rees-Mogg is sitting on the front bench. Do you want me to have another go, Mr Speaker? No, I think lots of MPs are shouting no at this point. Hang on a minute. Is it this thing here? (laughs) I want... (laughs) ...doing quite well. People would decided to be quite roading, but I can hear you now. Continue halfway through. Can you hear me, Mr Speaker? It's July. (laughs) (laughs) 18 months into a pandemic and... Boris Johnson still can't the use Prime Minister. Mr. Speaker, can you hear me? <laughs> can hear you loud and clear, Prime Minister. Do you, do you want me to give that answer again? Oh, don't worry. <laughs> Just complete the end bit. I will repeat it. I'll, I'll say it as many times as you like. I think the, I think the right honourable gentleman, the leader of the opposition, uh, is, is guilty of, of, of failing to listen to what I said just now. And it's perfectly obvious that, uh, as I said to him in a, in a letter earlier on, uh, earlier on, that there are some uh, businesses, some parts of uh, our economy that, of course, uh, need exemptions from the uh, test, the isolation regime, because they need to they need to be able to carry on. And uh, for the most part, obviously, people will have to follow uh, the rules. We're changing it on August the 16th, by which time we would have vaccinated many more people. Uh, I understand people's frustrations, but this is one of the uh, the few few real uh, tools that we have to uh, in our armory against the, the virus. And I, I really think that in an attacking the isolation system, which is what I think the right honourable gentleman is, is doing, uh, he is being totally inconsistent with his earlier announcement, which seemed to be that we should we should stay in lockdown. If I understand the position of the Labour Party now, uh, which is different from last week, they now don't want to go ahead with step four. I, I think I'm right in that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that wasn't worth the wait, was it? I mean, we laugh, but that, there is no worse indictment of the, or no more powerful uh, indictment by that vignette of 
where the government is at than a fully vaccinated prime minister in self-isolation having been pinged because his health secretary also fully vaccinated, has COVID, still struggling uh, on mute on Zoom. Uh, (laughs) The first PMQs two days after all legal restrictions have lifted in England. I mean, if you wrote that, uh, you'd probably dismiss the symbolism as a bit on the nose and send it back to the cutting room floor, I think. It's Freedom Day, everyone. (laughs) What a way to mark 60 60 years of the most interesting exchange so far is Can You Hear Me? (laughs) And you want me to repeat that for you. Um, uh, we've had some messages in. Rich says, at the end of this term and having listened to many PMQs, I have to conclude it's Keir's personality and barrister tone that makes him so unappealing. Sad for sure, but true. And then uh, Brian says, I hope you all find someone that loves you the way Times Radio loves Keir Starmer. Uh, that's the first time uh, I've been accused of being <laughs> too sympathetic to Keir Starmer. I think Pick up the paper. I think you need to reboot your, your DAB radio or something <laughs> thereby, but thank you for listening anyway. Uh, right, so what are we up to? We're up to sort of question number four. Who knows what havoc could be uh, uh, wreaked? Is it, is it, you wreak havoc. You wreak havoc. Let's yeah. see if we can wreak havoc. Uh, this is uh, number four from Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. It talks about inconsistency. Two hours and 38 minutes to do a massive U-turn on Sunday morning. And then what have we seen in the last few days. Um, He says I didn't listen to his answer. I did listen. I still think he's making it up. We had completely unclear announcement on Monday about exemptions, had contradictory statements all day yesterday. Now we seem to be back to the confused policy of Monday. How on earth the business is meant to plan when the Prime Minister keeps chopping and changing like this? I have to say, even after 15 months of these exchanges, I can't believe that the Prime Minister doesn't see the irony of him spending Freedom Day locked in isolation and, and, and announcing plans for a vaccine ID card. I remember when he used to say he'd eat an ID card if he ever had to produce one, and now he's introducing them. So, Mr Speaker, when it comes to creating confusion, the Prime Minister is a super spreader. So let me try to get... Let me, let me try to get some clarity. Why is it okay? Why is it okay to go for it, to go to a nightclub for the next six weeks without proof of a vaccine or a test, and then from September it will only be okay to get into a nightclub if you've got a vaccine ID card? Hey, Minister. Mr. Speaker, I think the the Labour leader traditionally has a choice in a national crisis, and that is whether to uh, get behind the government and uh, to be to offer constructive opposition or to try endlessly to oppose for the sake of, for the sake of it and to try to score cheap uh, political points. Everybody can see that we have to wait until uh, the end of September, by which time it's only fair to the younger generation when they will all have been offered uh, two jabs before we consider something like asking people to be double jabbed before they go into a, a nightclub. That's blindingly obvious uh, to everybody. It's common sense. And uh, I think most people in this country understand it. Most people in this country want to see the younger generation encouraged uh, to get vaccinations. That is what, uh, with great respect to the right honourable gentleman, uh, he should be doing rather than trying endlessly uh, to score what, what I think are vacuous political points. I mean, part of the job of the opposition is to score uh, um, vacuous, political, vacuous points. political points. I mean, when you leave the opposition, you can't do much else besides. Boris Johnson does quite a lot of it. It's Prime Minister, actually. Uh, yes, uh, uh, very much so. Just so if people aren't totally aware, what is, it that, what is the Labour position, other than criticising and pointing out the mess? What, what is it? I mean, you wouldn't know from watching PMQs exactly what it is that they want Boris Johnson to do apart from being less of a confusing mess? Well, that's a very, it's a very good question, and it gets to the heart of what has changed about Keir Starmer's approach. Uh, I think I've mentioned 
over the last couple of weeks, the thinking of people around Keir Starmer now is that it is not for us to propose a, um, you know, beyond having a broad position, i.e. the government was wrong to lift legal restrictions on Monday, it's not for the opposition to say, uh, to come up with, a, you know, a fully coherent health policy. It's a privilege and prerogative of the opposition to be able to kick holes in the government's position. Now, obviously, that does leave you vulnerable, as Keir Starmer has been throughout this year, to allegations from the Prime Minister that all you're interested in is sitting off the fence and when you get off the fence, um, you knock me at a time of national crisis and, ought, you know, oughtn't you get behind me. But it's that approach that Labour, uh, senior Labour figures have identified as part of the problem for Keir Starmer. And I think, I don't think either of us would say that it's any less effective uh, somebody, in fact, somebody's tweeted saying Patrick has definitely got more generous towards Team Starmer since that since that's lunch the other week. <laughs> never was never was one lunch we discussed at such length. <laughs> There'll be whole books. It'll be like the new uh, the Granita deal. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no I, I can't be. There's no such thing as a free, no such thing as a free free lunch. Well, presumably because you paid for it, presumably. Well, exactly, and also, the, you know, you know why I'll remember that lunch? Not for anything Team Starmer told me, but it was the first time I ever tried a duck egg. <laughs> That might be the most interesting thing of this half hour of PMQs <laughs> unpacked. Uh, this match only on time's ready. Let's go back to the House of Commons and Keir Starmer. Keir Starmer. Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister keeps asking me if I will support his chaos. No! And I want to bring the Prime Minister back to one of our earlier exchanges in this House. On the 26th of May, I asked the Prime Minister if he had ever used the words COVID is only killing 80-year-olds or words to that effect. On that day, the Prime Minister pointedly didn't deny using those words. And now we have the proof that he did. We've all now seen the Prime Minister's text message. I quote, the median age for Covid fatalities is 82. That is above life expectancy. And we have the Prime Minister's conclusion in the same text. So get Covid and live longer. Remind the Prime Minister, over 83,000 people aged 80 or over lost their lives to this virus. Everyone leaving behind a grieving family and loved ones. So will the Prime Minister now apologise for using those words? Prime Minister. Mr Speaker, nothing I can say uh, from uh, this dispatch box or uh, in this virtual dispatch box, I, I should say, or, or uh, nothing I can do can uh, make up for the loss and the, the suffering that people have endured throughout this pandemic. And... Uh, there will, of course, be a public inquiry into, into what has happened. But I would just remind the right honourable gentleman, when he goes back over the, the, the decision-making processes that we had in, that, in those very, very difficult and dark uh, times, that these are incredibly tough balancing uh, decisions that you have to take. Again, you have to balance the catastrophe of the disease against the suffering that is caused by, uh, by lockdowns, the, the, the impacts on mental health, the loss of life chances, for young people, Mr. Speaker, and the, the, what has changed uh, since the uh, since I, 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 we were thinking in, in those ways is, of course, that we have rolled out uh, vaccines faster than any other country in Europe. Ninety-six percent, uh, Mr. Speaker, of people over fifty now have had a vaccine. Sixty-eight percent of people have had two jabs, Mr. Speaker. What we're trying to say to the, the country today, and I think the single most important serious message is, if you uh, have not yet had your second jab. 
please come along and get it. And if you're over 50 and you still haven't had uh, your second jab or over 40, please come and get it as well. And never forget, Mr. Speaker, that if we'd followed the advice of the right honourable gentleman, we would have stayed in the European Medicines Agency and we would never have had the vaccine rollout at all. There we are. Uh, it wouldn't be PMQs in 2021 were it not for mention of the European medicine. Reminds agency. me of uh, remember the bit in Extras, the when the whistle blows, the imaginary sitcom, <laughs> and he was Ricky Gervais was eventually uh, reduced to. You having a laugh? You having a laugh? <laughs> it's like it's his catchphrase, isn't it? Um, uh, it's worth pointing out that Dominic um, uh, Keir Starmer raising Dominic Cummings. Yes, without mentioning Dominic Cummings, which is I think that's why they were so squeamish that uh, PMQs uh, a couple of months ago when the Matt Hancock text dropped 20 minutes before the um, the effing useless text. And the only thing Labour did on that all day was a press release from their shadow public health minister. Now, if anyone can text in and name Labour's shadow public health minister, I will give them a tenner. Um, and that's a promise. I, I'm a man of is my it, word. Is it... Ju- You've got it. Is you've it, got just it. it Justin Matters? Yes, it yes! is. Yes! It is. The... That's £10 for me. <laughs> uh, but you're right. But it's interesting that so he was happy to cite what came out around the Dominic Cummings interview last night without actually going into any uh, detail yes, about exactly. it. Yes, um, exactly. Some, some observations people have sent in. Aaron says, uh, Keir is showing his improved miles from how he started PMQs last April. More issue of the minute... Uh, uh, more issue of the minute. Straight with the questions of what people want asked. Uh, but it's of poor quality. It's too pantomime for me. David says, uh, Starm has developed a kind of chuckling delivery these last two PMQs, which is highly irritating. Referring to the Johnson variant in tweets seems to be part of the same questionable plan to give him some personality. And our colleague Quentin Letts, the Times uh, sketch writer, uh, has also spotted the... Uh, That's all we've got time for chuckle. on this episode uh, of the Red Box from, Podcast. Uh, Don't forget you can listen to me live uh, Monday to Friday, Dennis 10 till 1 on Times Radio. Let's go back and see if we can hear on the podcast. Now. And if you're feeling particularly because nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from. The Prime Minister's answers have no resemblance to the questions I'm actually asking him. He's given us a list of what he can't do. What he can do, quite straightforwardly, virtually or otherwise, is say sorry. The trouble is, Mr Speaker, nobody believes a word the Prime Minister says anymore. He promised he had a plan for social care, but he's ducked it for two years. He promised not to raise tax, now he's planning a jobs tax. He promised he wouldn't cut the army or the aid budget. He's cut both. And Mr Speaker, he also promised that Monday would be Freedom Day. He said 18 times from that dispatch box that it'd be irreversible. But the truth is, he's let a new variant into the country, he's let cases soar, and he's left us, he's left us with the highest death toll in Europe, one of the worst hit economies of any major economy. Last week, a million kids were off school, businesses are closing, and millions will spend their summer self-isolating. But don't worry, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister's got it all under control. Because this morning we read he's got a new three-word slogan. Keep life moving. You couldn't make it up. (laughs) Mr Speaker, isn't it clear there's only three words, three words this Prime Minister needs to focus on? Get a grip. Prime Minister. Some cheering there from Labour MPs. We go back to Chequers. Let's look at the position now uh, as it was at the uh, end of last year. And as we come to the end of this parliamentary term, uh, let's be absolutely clear that it is thanks to the vaccine rollout 
uh, which, by the way, I never tire of repeating, would have been impossible if we followed his advice, uh, that nine million people have now come off furlough. Unemployment is two million uh, lower than predicted. Job vacancies, Mr Speaker, are 10 percent higher uh, than they were before the pandemic began. Business insolvencies uh, are lower than be- before the pandemic began. He wants three-word slogans, uh, Mr. Speaker. I'll give him a, a, a three-word slogan. Uh, we are well, our three-word slogan is "get a jab" and uh, and get a jab. And by the way, uh, what we are also doing is help people to get a job. We're turning jabs, jabs, jabs into jobs, jobs, jobs. That's the agenda of this government uh, by taking sensible, cautious decisions, uh, rolling out the vaccines in the way that we have, we are enabled, uh, we have been able to get uh, this country moving and to, and to keep it moving. Uh, and I've listened to him very carefully this morning. I have absolutely no idea what he proposes to do uh, instead, except keep us all in some sort of perpetual lockdown and limbo. He has no answer to the question of if not now, when he has no plan, he has no ideas, and he has no hope. Mr. Speaker, and whilst we in this government are getting on with getting our country through the pandemic and delivering on the people's priorities. So there we are. Mm. Quite a powerful prioration, I think, from Boris Johnson there. Um, obviously, I airily dismissed you when you asked that question earlier. I want his Labour's answer to that question. But obviously, when people listen to the Times Radio focus groups, that is the Keir Starmer's big point of vulnerability. They, yeah, it's, it's sort of weird. The public can uh, ha- hold the... V- two views simultaneously, that Boris Johnson is a mess, is a bit chaotic, but it's a tricky situation he's found himself in and, you know, uh, I'm glad I'm not him, while also thinking, all Keir Starmer does, this comes along and points out, oh, you don't, I don't believe you wanted to do that, which is slightly the nature of opposition and it's a, it's a tricky balance to try. So the, I'll tell you what, the single thing that stood out for me in that was Keir Starmer at the dispatch box talking about the jobs tax and the idea that increasing national insurance to pay for social care, Labour have obviously already decided against that. Uh, which suggests to me that there's going to be a big battle on it and we might not end up solving social care. Yes, and that is part of the reason why it's so interesting that the government has delayed the announcement until after recess. Um, Whether that is because of the head of steam building um, uh, on the Tory backbenches against it, you saw Damien Green uh, among the party grandees to come out against it this morning, whether the government's thinking is, oh, we've got a helpful pretext and that the Prime Minister, the Chancellor and the Health Secretary are all um, locked up uh, on a strictly advisory basis for the next 10 days and we couldn't possibly announce it in the week before recess, we'll, you know, we'll all go home for the summer and um, we'll all go home in the summer and everybody will, the anger will dissipate and we'll come back and, and sort it out. Or the other risk is that MPs take to WhatsApp, they build a coalition against it, um, the jobs tax thing, Labour will hammer that all summer, I imagine. Yeah, and it might end up, it might, may even never be announced. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it might be dead before it uh, even arrives. Uh, well, Nigel uh, has been in touch saying, uh, agree with the Dennis Norden style of uh, delivery. He also used to say, you couldn't make this up. Uh, so there we are. Roger says, three words for Keir Starmer, do something constructive. And uh, Rich says, uncalled middle-aged men trying to be cool is difficult to listen to. That's all we've got time for on this episode of the Red Box Podcast. Don't forget you can listen to me live Monday to Friday, 10 till 1 on Times Radio. We bring you the best bits here on the podcast. And if you're feeling particularly nice, why not wait and review us wherever you get your podcast from? <laughs>